You're listening to a best of Friendly Fire on 1499.3 KLIN. This program originally aired December 18th, 2021. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along. It is a privilege today to have in studio uh, Nikki Long from Juniper Refuge. How are you, Nikki? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, it's good. To, it's good to have you down here. The uh, I, I thought I could do some kind of a Christmas theme, but um, actually, it is kind of a Christmas theme because uh, uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus were sojourners who needed a place to stay and uh, and, and needed refuge in various places. And uh, that's that's right in your name there, Juniper Refuge. It is, yes. <laughs> um, and I mean, and Jesus was a refugee himself too. Shortly yes. after he was born, um, King Herod put a decree out to yes. you know, and so Mary and Joseph said, "Okay, let's go to Egypt where we can find safety until uh, Herod was no longer king, and then they were able to return." So right. yeah, it is uh, a part of our name, and it uh, Juniper Refuge comes from. The uh, uh, the juniper tree is how the King James version puts it. Mm. It is um, actually a broom bush, um, but it's <laughs> that doesn't sound very very stately. No, no, uh, no. We would we did not want to be um, the broom refuge. I guess yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, it's from First Kings nineteen, where Elijah runs into the wilderness, fleeing for his life, desperate and just kind of at his at his end, mm. and uh, there he falls under a broom bush. And uh, the angel of the Lord meets him there and sustains him. And that is that kind of God just meets us sometimes in our desperation. Um, but yeah, our, our hope is that yeah. we as the church can kind of meet people in their destination or in their desperation. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. absolutely. That's, uh, that is, I, I hope that's what we're trying to do <laughs> is to do that. It's funny how, uh, in fact, it's in our desperation when we're not desperate, so many times we don't even know we should be looking for God. Exactly. And then he, he puts us in a corner where we really don't have much choice. Um, now, before we get to Juniper Refuge, which we'll talk all about that and, uh, and, and your work and how this got started and so forth. But first, we need to know a little bit more about you. Where are you from? Yeah, um, I'm originally from South Georgia. We're about an hour south of Savannah, um, Brunswick, St. Simons Island area. Mm -hmm. um, it's a beautiful little coastal area. Uh, my husband and I both grew up there in the same town. Wow. Um, we got married at very young ages. Uh, I was 19 and my husband was 20. Um, I was a sophomore in college when we got married. Um and spent the next few years going to college together in mm -hmm. Statesboro, Georgia. Uh, we went to Georgia Southern. Um, after college, uh, we moved to North Africa and lived mm -hmm. there for a couple of years, um, which was very exciting um, as you know, young 23-year-olds and 24-year-olds. Um, and what took you to North Africa? Uh, we worked for a uh, an agency that kind of... Uh, exposed young adults to what living abroad would look like mm. um, long term. So mm -hmm. how do you go to the market and shop on a daily basis? And what, is that, what does that look like when you don't speak the same language? And wow. how do you learn to shop in those local markets? How do you um, really get to know yourself better in these different mm -hmm. um, arenas and topographies? And um, how do you learn the language when there isn't a formal language school? And mm. 
can you live among a nomadic tribal people? What does that look like and feel like? So we would spend a week in the Sahara Desert with nomads uh, riding camels and walking the dunes and living in tents. And um, so we kind of provided this like um, cultural tourism kind of experience. So not only did they get to know themselves, but um, you got to see like what it looked like to live abroad in these uh, different uh, arenas, right? Some cities. so we lived there for a couple of years, decided to start a family, but didn't want to do that in Africa. Hmm. So we moved back to Georgia, um, started our family, and uh, after a couple years back in the States, we uh, my husband actually was offered a job with Samaritan's Purse. Hmm. Um, that was a, a regional security manager, and so that was based out of Kampala, Uganda. So hmm. um, we then took off to Kampala and our uh, only daughter at the time was one. Mm. Um, So his job was regional. So he traveled all over East Africa and the Middle East for his position. Um, And I hung out with my one-year-old and got to hang out with locals. And You know, when you say Uganda, people my age, we associate that with Idi Amin and Mm. a a really horrible, horrible period. And when you were there, was it a fairly stable place to be? It was, yes. Um, Amin was no longer there. And, you know, gosh, my husband would kill me for not remembering the name of the president Um, (laughs) um, but, uh, yeah, it was actually very stable. Um, it had, uh, it was receiving a lot of refugees from neighboring countries, actually, Mm. um, all in the North and in Mm. the, the West. Um, so it, uh, you know, was was still a developing country, Mm -hmm. but, uh, pretty established and, and, uh, relatively safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, and where from there? Um, so we lived there for two years, had our second daughter while we were over there. And then um, in 2014, um, ISIS started, you know, wreaking havoc in mm. Iraq and Syria. And um, so I remember being in the hospital in the States with our second newborn. And um, my husband called me from uh, Africa. I don't know where he was in East Africa at the time, but said, hey, there's, you know, Samaritan's Purse is opening up their office, expanding their office in northern Iraq. Um, We should move there. And (laughs) Northern Iraq. (laughs) There's no way. You are crazy. Um, Here I am with, you know, a two-year-old and an infant. There's no way we're moving to Iraq. And um, so I eventually made my way with the two little ones back to Uganda and um, you know, we prayed about it. It just kept kind of coming up. And mm. um, we love working in um, Muslim con- uh, countries and that, that context. It's just um, that kind of culture clicks with us really well mm. and um, or, or we click with it, I guess, and just really appreciate um, mm. that dynamic. And so, you know, it just we just kept thinking about it and praying about it. And um, and it, it just it seemed right. Our contract um in Uganda ended in, um, I guess, the spring of 2015. So we packed all our things in Uganda and took all of those straight to northern Iraq. And then we lived there for a couple of years in Kurdistan um, in a tiny little town called Chemchamal. Wow. Um, and uh, we were about 20 minutes from Kirkuk and about 25 minutes from um where ISIS was, uh, had, had its territory. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an adventure, um, and had lots of challenges, 
um, but was an incredible. We lived on a compound um, with um, olive trees and uh, pomegranate trees that my daughter would sit under the trees with the, the guys who would put the diesel on our generators and they would sit under the trees and eat mm. pomegranate together and just, you know, yeah. simple things like that yeah. were um, just a normal part of life there that was wow. so sweet. Um, and so my husband was the director of the center there um, and I ran the women's and children's program at the center. So we had a sewing class and mm. um, a Kurdish literacy class um, and mm. then I started a kids program there so that um, the women, when they're learning to sew, um, their kids weren't grabbing scissors and <laughs> things like <laughs> yeah. that. So we started a, a child-friendly space um, wow. and uh, had some really great, great staff and um, great, great people that we worked with. Um, oh, it's the uh, uh, sometimes in, in many other cultures that are non-Western cultures, the the treatment of women is up and down, not so great educational opportunities and so forth. Mm-hmm. Was this kind of a unique thing to have uh, this kind of ministry to women to kind of empower them? Uh, is that, uh, is that a, was it kind of a strategic thing that, that would probably work better in some places than others? You know, it did take some time for the center itself to be accepted in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great need, um, because the people that it was there serving, um, actually were victims of Saddam's and fall campaigns back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. So they, mm-hmm. uh, were orphans at the time and were now adults, um, mm-hmm. who were living in this, uh, around where our center was built, um, probably about 10 or so years ago um, is when it was built. But um, yes, the it, it, so for that, it was a very strategic placement. Um, there was a, a Lebanese pastor um, named Sammy Dagger. He's an incredible man. Um, and he connected with Franklin Graham, the president of, of uh, Samaritan's Purse, and said, there is this great need there. Mm-hmm. I want you to help me build this center. And so they did. Wow. Um, so it was a very um, strategic placement and, and goal and, and mission. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there was a lot of pushback. There was a big cross on the center. Everybody knew we were Christians. And so it took years to build trust there. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, that had been established by the time we moved in. Um, so we didn't have to work on that. Um, people flocked to the center and wow. just absolutely loved it. Um, because, yes, we had not only a, um, you know, an English program where we had native English speakers providing mm-hmm. the uh, language classes, um, but yeah, we we were able to to employ people um, and employ seamstresses to to teach these courses mm-hmm. um, and safe spaces for women to come because um, in that city, uh, women were, were, did not really go out by themselves. You didn't see mm-hmm. women out at coffee shops. Um, mm-hmm. Primarily, they were at home and visited each other in their homes. And so, to have a place to go and receive. Um, education and to receive uh, training and a technical skill and then receive a sewing machine after it was um, a a huge resource for them Um, and really a privilege for us to be a part of and and gosh I learned so much um, just sitting and engaging with those women and learning about their lives and uh, hearing some of their stories and um, I think I learned far more than we ever taught Um, okay we're gonna Save that thought. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, uh, I want to hear how you went from all those different places to Lincoln, Nebraska, 
Right. It isn't even Georgia. <laughs> it's not. It isn't even Georgia. It's a friendly fire Saturday. Stu Kern's talking with Nikki Long from Juniper Refuge. Glad to have you along. Freshen up the coffee. We're just getting started here on 1499.3 KLIN. You're listening to a best of friendly fire on 1499.3 KLIN. This program originally aired December 18th, 2021. Keeping the topics lively and the conversation civil, this is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday talking with uh, Nikki Long from Juniper Refuge. And when we, right before the break, we were talking about your your world hopping. Uh, you're in North Africa and East Africa and Northern Iraq and uh, raised in Georgia. By the way, just a little little side note here. I did the 23andMe DNA test. I have 0.2% of my DNA comes from North Africa. No way. Who knew? Yeah. I, it's a small world, isn't it? We're a hodgepodge. <laughs> There's a story there somewhere. There is. Of, uh, you know, it's like eight, eight generations back. So who knows? But there's a story there somewhere, right? Have you ever done that DNA thing? No, I haven't. Oh, well, you but it's so it. fascinating. It really it, is. It is. Yep. It is. I found out I'm more Scandinavian than my wife. And she always, you know, she loves all things Scandinavian. Okay, back to the main point. And Ikea. And Ikea. <laughs> That's true. Um, so you're, you're all these different places with your husband doing ministry with Samaritan's Purse. And then somehow you end up in Lincoln, Nebraska. How did that happen? Yeah, uh, it was really out of left field for us. We had to look on the map and thought, oh, my goodness, it's way farther north than we thought it was. Um, hey, but, now, before you go too far on that, yeah. just remember that Lincoln is the San Diego of the Big Ten. It, I've never heard that. It Stu. is. It's the San Diego of the Big Ten. It's the furthest south and the furthest west. And so you're going to okay. get the best weather in Lincoln in, in the whole of the Big Ten. Okay. I see Lincoln in a whole new light. See? Now. That's right. Okay, back to your story. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we kind of left Iraq and just thought we need to stop, you know, world hopping. We need mm-hmm. to, you know, our kids were getting school aged. You know, where are we going to land at least for a little while longer than two mm-hmm. years at a time? And so we started looking for jobs and, and what's next and, and um, you know, how do we get somewhere and stay there? And, uh, you know, my husband started looking at opportunities in higher ed and uh, interviewed at a job at, at UNL. And mm. um, sure enough, it, it came through and and we thought, OK, well, we'll just, you know, he can get his MBA while he's here and, and knock some things out. And then we'll see what place we're going to live abroad next yeah. yep. and, uh, you know, where God will send us next. And, uh, you know, we've been here now for for four years um, and just absolutely adore Lincoln and wow. just think you know god would had to he would have to pluck us out if we were to leave lincoln because um my husband absolutely loves his job at unl he's the director of global safety and security he's in the global Mm -hmm. strategies department and um works with amazing people loves what he does um and i you know kind of fell into this thing with juniper refuge as i we we got here and um started volunteering in an english class and Mm. Um, that was, that was it. So, um, Lincoln has been a surprise curveball, Um, <laughs> and it is, uh, really just been a very, very sweet season mm. of, um, you know, finding our family in a different way here. Mm. And, and I, I really, I love, um, I like having a simple life, you know, and maybe you wouldn't know that from our, our story and hopping around. But each of those places, life every, you know, day in and day out was very mm-hmm. simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and just talking with people and walking yeah. as much as I could. And um, 
And I, I, there's such a good balance of that here that life can be simple yeah. and I can be a mom, um, mm. and do all the other things that I want to do too. It's, it's available. You can be as busy as you want to be, or you can be as, it's kind of a big, small town. It is. So it's got options. How old are your kids now then? I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. Okay. And are they still young enough to enjoy the zoo? They do. Yes. We are members of the zoo and go frequently. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's just, it's a secret weapon. Having grown up here with our kids, it's like, you got to get that. That's, that pays for itself very quickly. And the kids are bored and it's like, we're going to the zoo. You just pack them up and away we go. And it's new every time. It's easy. Yeah. They, and they yeah. adore animals. I mean, they yeah. both want to be veterinarians and oh, that's just, awesome. you know, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah. just love animals. So it is, it's great, great go-to. Yes. So uh, tell me about the genesis then of, of Juniper Refuge then. How did this, how did your passion and your history then uh, bloom into uh, a new ministry? Yeah. Um, you know, it has not been necessarily one of those things where I just like jumped in was like, yes, this is, you know, this is where we'll go. But really something that I feel that God has um, created and uh, formed over time um, and it has been very sweet. Um, as when I came on, um, we brought on a new board member, Amanda Trost, and it was very sweet as we started thinking, you know, okay, we love English class. It's the bread and butter of working with refugees, right? You have to have an English class, mm -hmm. but, um, we don't necessarily like doing the English class all the time. It can be <laughs> kind of tedious and, and it's very task oriented. And we thought yeah. we love hanging out with these women. It's just, it's so fun. And so what are other fun things that we can do when it was really just, um, trying to figure out like, what can we do? What resources are available? Who can join in and help us, you know, create opportunities and platforms for people to find kindred spirits when you can't speak the same language, yeah. right? So how do you learn how to f have fun together with these like felt barriers? Um, mm -hmm. And so we talked about having a cooking class. We talked about all these different things and that kind of created the the Juniper table where um, we asked a, a, a good friend who was a refugee if she would prepare a meal with a mm -hmm. friend and uh, cook for about 10 individuals and, and you know, let us mm -hmm. hear a little bit of your story and we'll share a little bit of your of our story and uh, just mm -hmm. kind of be women uh, together and we're moms and we're sisters and we're wives and so let's mm -hmm. just talk about all of that and and um, that was it's just been such a sweet intimate uh, dinner uh, and of course you know due to COVID we, we haven't had those but that also allowed us to have uh, bigger gatherings that were maybe outdoors, right? Mm -hmm. So that we could, you know, invite whole families to come into this and yep. how do we play games together and create um, some uh, opportunities to have conversations with people that you wouldn't have met otherwise. And so yeah. it has been this like slow formation over time of um, God has given us uh, this ministry. God just put this ministry in my lap and um, it just so happened that, um, you know, I've got amazing people around me who have yeah. great ideas and we kind of, you know. One of these things, um, oftentimes, once you get these first relationships connected, then then you've got friends and friends of friends and mm -hmm. then it kind of can snowball or mushroom, whatever, and, and, and you've got a path. But how did, the, how did those first relationships begin then? How did you make that first connection with a few people who said, yeah, I would, I'd, I'd love to be part of a meal or I'd love to be, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to get you know you more. Uh, but what was, how did that happen? Gosh, I don't even know. It's like a, 
God, God, I don't, yeah. I mean, sometimes it will have just been talking to someone at church over coffee. Um, so I, I shared about an event we were having at, at church um, last month and someone came up to me and she said, Jesus wants me to talk to you and I need to be a part of this, <laughs> you know? Um, but I think in, in the beginning, um, it, it really was just um, sitting down and brainstorming with people and trying to figure out like, what might this look like? What could it turn into? And it's like, oh, light bulb, there's this person across town who has this thing and I'm going to call them and see what they're doing. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, you might not see any fruition come from it immediately, but then, I mean, I've, I've, you know, been a part of Juniper Refuge now for a few years and it's like, oh, wait, things kind of circle back around a little bit. Yeah, and, yeah. um, and there is some, you know, like you said at Lincoln is a big small town. Um, mm -hmm. so many people know so many, and I think that's a huge resource that we have had. And there mm -hmm. are so many really great organizations and agencies in Lincoln that mm -hmm. are doing a lot of great work. Um, and I think it is a, a great communal collective effort. And I think the posture in Lincoln is unique in that everybody kind of wants to work together. Um, mm -hmm. Everybody mm -hmm. uh, knows that, you know, you can't work in a vacuum. And so yeah. they're, they kind of welcome this like open arms. Let's figure out how we can collaborate and, and share resources with one oh, another. Oh, that's cool. We're going to take another break. When we get back then, I, I want to, I, again, I'm, I'm still learning, but uh, let's, I want the audience to learn about some of the other things that you've been involved in uh, with Juniper Refuge. And uh, and uh, and who knows? But before we're done here, maybe somebody will want to say, "I I think Jesus is calling me to be a part of this." It it could happen. That's right. It's a friendly fire Saturday. Talking today with Nikki Long from Juniper Refuge. Glad you're along. I will be right back here on uh, fourteen hundred KLIN. You're listening to a best of friendly fire on fourteen hundred and ninety nine three KLIN. This program originally aired December eighteenth, twenty twenty one. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns. 1499.3 KLIN. Welcome back. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Talking with Nikki Long here from uh, Juniper Refuge. And uh, we were talking about the, the beginnings of Juniper Refuge and uh, connecting with people. One of the things, by the way, that I, I don't know if this, I think this is kind of an American thing. But even even when you were overseas or when you're here uh, you've, you've said it more than once in a, in a number of ways is that how personal the ministry is and it's connected to real people, real stories and so forth. And, and I think oftentimes we, as American Christians, uh, we, we overemphasize scale of ministry. It's mm -hmm. like, it's, it's bigger is better. Mm -hmm. And yet you can't do what you're doing bigger. I mean, it, it, you can multiply it, but, but it can't be done bigger am i is that about the right way of saying it absolutely yeah i mean i we're all limited humans right yes. like yeah. i i can only do the simple things that god has called me to do yeah. um and i i you know continue to go back to scripture um micah 6 8 you know we, we just accomplish these three do justice love mercy and walk humbly with god right like yeah. you that's all that you have to focus on and and mm -hmm. walk through the open doors that that he gives you and um, and I think that that makes um, working with us a little bit more approachable for people, too, because mm. um, I'm a mom of young kids and I have a husband that I spend time with. And so not only am I just a limited human, I have limited resources in and of myself and my time. I, I prioritize mm. my family over ministry, as we all should. And um, and that's a very difficult balance 
to maintain in the busyness that you know life can bring and mm-hmm. the, the sh- you should be serving you should be doing these things that you know we often feel and so what um, I really do care deeply about um, the the mutual benefit that comes from befriending a new neighbor mm-hmm. of befriending a refugee because um, it it should and hopefully is a mutual friendship that mm-hmm. that can grow and blossom um and and i mean really that's where a sustainable relationship is is going to happen as if it's if it's mutual um and uh and it, and it you know this isn't this task thing god calls us to love one another and mm-hmm. that is you know there are some tasks absolutely involved in yeah. that right yeah. but it is um it's also a a patient giving of of your time which is a scarce resource yeah. um our time and so um what does that look like and and how do you how do you prioritize that and mm-hmm. um and so yeah as as the uh director of Juniper Refuge I I experience all of those tensions and and so feel for you know volunteers and and help create um, you know, what are, what are healthy boundaries for you? Um, mm-hmm. But yes, God, uh, in Matthew 25, he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these, mm-hmm. you did for me. Um, and it's, it's okay to do just one, but that's how the church looks as a whole, as a city on a hill yeah. and a lamp on a stand is that we are collectively representing Christ in our even mundane day-to-day uh things. Yes. And that's why when I looked at the website, I think sometimes people see, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of Christian speak when, you know, when we talk about doing ministry mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, let's break that down. It's uh, <laughs> ministry. What is, what does ministry really look like? In your instance, I mean, it's, it's like talking with someone, listening to someone, mm-hmm. uh, maybe. And then I saw on your website, teaching them to drive. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, you know, it's, these are things that, cause I know a lot of times people listen to this stuff and say, well, I couldn't do any of that. Maybe I could give a few bucks or something, but I, I could never do this kind of, this kind of work. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that's the whole point, right? Almost anyone can do this. Yes. I mean, it is just, um, what has God gifted you to do? Mm-hmm. And how can you utilize that? Uh, how can you hand that over to Jesus yeah. and and say, Jesus, use my gifts for whoever yeah. is vulnerable around me? So where did the where did the idea for uh, driver training uh, uh, come from? Um, it was in the middle of COVID, and one of our ministry partners said. I have a lot of refugee friends and they feel trapped at home and they can't go anywhere and Mm. they can't drive anywhere. They're scared to take public transportation. Can you teach them how to drive? And um, I put the word out. I don't even remember how at this point. Um, Maybe it was a couple churches. Maybe it was, I don't even remember at this point, but I said, (laughs) we need people to volunteer to learn how to drive. And we had no training. We had nothing at that point. It was like, who has willing time to, you know, to just give of themselves in this way. And we had two or three people that said, sure. I think it was three people. I'll, I'll do this. So we did do a quick training, um, with another partner that, uh, has taught, you know, a ton of people how to how to drive um a ton of refugees and so it really was like okay pulling gifts he- from here and there and and how can we put this together and then yeah. it has turned into this over the course of a, a little over a year mm. um where it's like oh there's actually this great need for this very basic skill mm-hmm. um where a lot of these the, the, specifically women who did not drive in their home country yeah. and um and it just takes a lot of time and 
their you know, maybe their spouses don't want to teach them how to drive, and maybe they don't want to learn from their spouses how well, to drive. Now you're onto something there. <laughs> that could be that could be cross cultural. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Husbands should not teach their wives how to drive. No. It's, so and it it really is um, a, a sweet uh, and a really important skill that mm-hmm. um, you know and even like there's great I've connected with Road Ready and Lincoln and you know their 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 uh, their driving program is you know unlike anything else and is amazing um, and they know we're doing what we're doing and um, you know the the problem is that a lot of the women that have gone through our program um, have never gone to school and so it's a very um, it's a very fast-paced program, and it's um, it's it's more for literate learners. It is not necessarily for oral learners. For people mm. come from oral cultures, mm-hmm. and that it's interpreted on top of that. And so, um, a lot of times, it takes women a yeah. few times of going through the the class before they can pass. And so, we really even see it as a support mechanism for like, let's just yeah. get them um, to feel what it is like to be in the car, to know how to maneuver it, to know how to even turn it on, to move a gear shift. Um, mm-hmm. just a lot of very basic things that if they just jump straight into that course, yep. um, it, they would be way in over their heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting there. If, if you live on one of the coasts or especially the East coast, again, you can get by without a car. You can yeah. live in major metros and everything. And, and, and there, and who knows, you might be able mm-hmm. within walking distance of everything you need. And in many, again, uh, other places around the world, that's the case. Yep. Even a lot of parts of Europe, you know, you, you, you don't, you don't need a car. There's, it's just. It's just that easy, but in the Midwest, <laughs> and I assume it was probably that way in Georgia too. If you if you don't have a car, you are really stranded, and and you're going to have a really long way to go for really basic needs, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there there are certain seasons where you could maybe get around from here to there if you get a bike, but for mm-hmm. a lot of uh, you know someone who is a single mom, maybe her husband mm-hmm. has passed away and she has multiple kids to get on a bike or public transportation and yep. do that while grocery shopping, yep. and I mean. Like that's, it's hard enough to go to the store if you have a car. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. Especially, especially with the kids. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. That was, there was an immigrant family that uh, we were familiar with who had come from Russia and and things were hard. The shelves were fairly empty in the part of Russia they were from. Mm. And they came to uh, one of our grocery stores and they, they went into the produce aisle and they started crying. Mm. And uh, they said, what and, and. They didn't realize that it wasn't just to look at, that you could actually pick anything you wanted off the shelves and buy it. Wow. And uh, and so the kind of things that you and I take for granted, driving a car, yeah. going into a grocery store that's fully loaded, yeah. uh, these are things that uh, many people around the world haven't experienced. Well, and even, I mean, mentioning the grocery store, the first time I was in another country and went to a grocery store, I cried because mm. I couldn't read anything. I didn't know what anything was. And I thought, yeah. how am I supposed to cook dinner when I don't even know what any of this is. I don't know what I'll be making. And so yeah. even our grocery stores are a thousand times bigger than the one that I walked into and cried in. Mm. There's so many options. You yeah. walk down the cereal aisle and you're like, <laughs> I have no idea where to look first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is It is overwhelming, isn't yeah. it? Even even for those of us who have gone to these kind of stores our whole life, it's overwhelming. It is. We what to choose. Talk about the paralysis you get just walking down the aisles. <laughs> You know, every time I somebody doesn't know, like somebody doesn't notice you in the grocery store, I just realize it's the grocery store paralysis. It you know, they're, <laughs> they're just focused, overwhelmed, and so if you're not going to like wave really big, they're probably not going to see you. Yeah, especially now with masks. That's true. That makes it even worse. Uh, one last break, then we're going to come back. We're going to do a little shameless plug, 
And then, which will include, uh, again, uh, maybe you're out there saying, huh, well, maybe there is something I could do to be a part of this. We're going to tell you how. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday here talking with Nikki Long from uh, Juniper Refuge. Uh, You're listening to 1400 AM and 99.3 FM KLIN. You're listening to a best of Friendly Fire on 1499.3 KLIN. This program originally aired December 18th, 2021. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Rolling right along on a Saturday morning, uh, talking with Nikki Long from Juniper Refuge. And Nikki, it is that time of the program every week where we have a shameless plug. So I say to you, plug away. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, if you, I don't know, just want to learn more about what we're doing at Juniper Refuge, you can follow us on Facebook, you can follow us on Instagram. Our website um, is most of the time up to date. We're doing resettlement now, and those happen really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have some information on uh, maybe you want to get involved with resettlement, join a work crew, or donate items to go in a refugee's, a newly arriving refugee's home. Um, We're probably going to be resettling another family in uh, early to mid-January and mm. hope to do those on a regular basis. And so um, we you know, always love to, to bring in a lot of resources for that. Um, we like to put together full homes that feel warm and uh, comfortable mm. for our new arrivals. So um, always looking for more help there. Um, and right now, I'm the only full-time staff member at Juniper Refuge. Mm. And so we, we want to continue providing mentorship and driving opportunities and all these things, but we are just in a need of, of hiring a coordinator. So if you want to help us, uh, hire a coordinator if you want to help us continue doing what we're doing and to be able to provide it um, better resources really for not only our refugees but also uh, good trainings for our volunteers right Mm -hmm. because they're the ones who are also providing a lot of this coaching and stuff and so um, really we want to have a strong central unit that Mm -hmm. our volunteers can rely on um, so that they don't get burned out so that they're supported and so that our refugees really are getting good good care um, cause that's ultimately what, what, where it trickles down to. And yeah. so, um, you can help us hire a coordinator, um, and, uh, give to our year end campaign. It's called give to grow, um, so that we can continue bringing on, uh, mentorship families. And that's where the driving happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we have a few of our partnering agencies that have referrals just waiting to give to us and, uh, so we're and and even the re, the resettled families, um, we're hoping to provide mentorship on the back end of those. But mm. um, you know, just like all of these agencies have uh, a little bit of of uh, kind of growth and sturdiness to them, I think mm. we we need to see that as an organization also. Um, and as as we see our our ministry grow out through uh, more volunteers and uh, and really being that that city on a hill yeah. um, equipping people to to cross those cultural barriers that might paralyze us um, from doing anything yes yeah. yes and that's uh, juniperrefuge.org yes juniperrefuge.org we're also on facebook and instagram and we've got okay. great interns that working hard on all of those fronts <laughs> that's awesome my shameless plug for the week it is uh we're one week away from christmas and uh um, if you're if you're not a part of a of a church, I just encourage you. The, there are all kinds of churches, dozens of churches across town that are uh, going to be celebrating the birth of Christ, and uh, you're very much welcome at Zion. 
but uh, but we recognize it's something that there are just a, uh, again uh, many many churches in town that uh, that uh, celebrate Christ and uh, and the great miracle of uh, the incarnation, the birth of God, and uh, so uh, if if you haven't been around, it's time to come back. It's time to to uh, hear the Christmas story in a whole new way, and that's my shameless plug. Um, uh, circling all the way back around to then uh, the other things that you're uh, that you you would do if you had more time and so forth. Um, it looked like there were like picnics and meals and and the driving and what what are some of the other things that might be on the horizon for for other opportunities to connect with people. Sure. Um, yeah, we have English classes that happen every Tuesday mm -hmm. morning at Grace Chapel. Uh, those will resume in January. Um, and we typically are now doing the, um, the gatherings in the summer where we can meet outdoors. We mm -hmm. also, we did a yoga class this past summer. Um, mm. and so there are some, some opportunities for signing up for, you know, some of the sporadic classes that we offer. Um, and for some people, they like to kind of go through all of those, the trainings and stuff that happens before. And so we do have regular cultural competency trainings. We did a domestic violence training today. Um, we have uh, done trainings with the Asian Center and just so people really do feel like they're equipped to kind of cross those mm -hmm. cultural barriers. And so anyone is welcome to attend those that they would like. And they can reach out to me. You can email me at Nikki at juniperrefuge.org um, to hear about when those mm -hmm. trainings are. Um, sometimes they're on our, our Facebook page, too. So yeah. you can follow us for information on if that. If I were listening, to, and I, and uh, here's one of my other objections someone might have. They're saying, oh, okay, now listen, I've, I've lived in Lincoln. I haven't traveled to like, Africa mm -hmm. and Iraq. And, and uh, you know, Nikki's been all over the world. So she's kind of been, she's got the shtick when it comes to relating to people who are, who are different and different cultures. And I just, I don't know if I could do that. Uh, what would you say to that person if they, they, they just said, well, I'm not, I'm not broadly traveled. So how, how could I do this? Yeah. What would you say? I would say God gifts each of us. Right. And so I'm doing the thing that God has gifted me to do. And that is I love going to other cultures and learning about them. And I have no fears there. I have lots of fears in other places. And so what are the things that you are gifted at? And let us help you do the things that you might feel mm -hmm. uh, reservations on or hesitations around. Mm -hmm. And let us help you get over those hurdles so that you can serve in the way with this vulnerable population that God has gifted you. Um, because there's, I mean, on mentorship teams, there's all kinds of different needs that come uh, come up when you're engaging with a family. Um, mm -hmm. So we have someone who's doing financial planning with a family as they're struggling with high bills. And then that has turned into, um, you know, we need some advice on what to do with our middle schooler because he's not listening to us. And so now he's started like just talking to him about raising kids. And so it just has turned into something, you know, like mentors do all kinds of things. And um, we're each gifted and yeah. uh, God places us. Yeah. And do we, do we take for granted what a blessing it is to live here? I, you know, I'm, I, I'm a jogger biker and I, and we have great trails mm -hmm. and just sometimes as I'm going through and then you'll see somebody who's clearly, you know, an immigrant and, and you just think I live in Disneyland. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is everything you need is right here. It's safe. It's secure. It's, it's even the poorest person has a lot of things, lives a lifestyle that, that a lot of people around the world don't have. Uh, well, why aren't we more grateful for, for living in, in such, a, such a blessed place? That's a big question. Um, I 
don't we often look at those who have more and say, why don't I have that instead of looking at people Mm. who have less and say, oh man, you know, we Mm. just, we're inclined to, to look at what we don't have and what we want, as opposed to Mm. the gratefulness that comes with what we do have. Does it help to see uh, our, where we live and our place through the new immigrants eyes? A hundred percent. Yes. Um, I mean, especially thinking about like the chaos that a lot of them have just even very recently left when you look at the the Afghans that are coming here and mm. and the the instability and um, the the lack of security that they felt for their children and, and the desperation that comes there. Right. Comes comes with that. Um, and just think they come here and um, we're, we're pretty stable. Right. That is that is a, a, a breath of fresh air. And so, yes, to take for, I think we often take for granted those things. But I also think that those are refining things too, right? That maybe we should feel a sense of instability sometimes because, (laughs) oh gosh, God does a lot of work in our souls when that happens. And so, um, and I think that is, you know, just something very sweet that comes from getting to know a refugee is, yeah, you get to see things through their eyes. You get to see their perspective when you when you stop and you ask questions about why they do things that they do. Why do they give their kids so much candy and so much sugar? <laughs> and it's because they didn't have it. Yeah. And they want their kids to have fun and love life and know that their their, their parents want to lavish this good life on them, right? Yeah. Like you just, when you stop and you ask those simple questions, yeah. you get to see, oh, this is way more beautiful. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming in to tell us about Juniper Refuge today and Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, if you want to learn more, don't forget, go to juniperrefuge.org, Facebook, Instagram, or Instaface, as I like to say. <laughs> and uh, we, I leave you seeing as I always do to think about it and talk about it. And Merry Christmas.